The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and thank you very much uh, for joining us today at Capital Weekly's third podcast. This is the third installment of our legendary, it's already legendary, our podcast we do here in the shadow of the EPA building. Uh, With me uh, today is Tim Foster, Executive Director of Open California, the publishers of Capital Weekly. I'm John Howard, the editor of Capital Weekly, and our special guest today is Hector Barajas, um, political consultant extraordinaire. Uh, We just had a great interview off uh, off the microphone about uh, Latino politics in California, and I was going to ask Hector in a minute or so to talk a little bit more about that. Very briefly, next week is another boring week in Sacramento. We've got two or three hearings that sound interesting. Um, We do have a hearing on a select committee hearing on the assembly side on the status of men and boys of color. That sounds sounds interesting. On the Senate side, we have a hearing on yet another hearing on climate change. I've come to the conclusion if I hear one more thing about climate change, I'm going to go crazy. Yes, I think it's man-made. Yes, I think we do have climate change. Global warming is real, so let's get on with our lives. But, uh, but Hector, to you, uh, looking forward at the uh, election this year, one of the issues that always comes up is uh, the level of Latino voters' participation. Uh, numbers I saw talked about 30 per- 38% being eligible to vote, but only about 17% actually of Latino voters actually participating. Does that, does that ring true with you, or do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, and what we, what we find, uh, John, is the, I know a lot of people call the Latino vote the sleeping giant, and this giant always seems to wake up every four years, and it usually and it wakes up during the presidential elections, and so I think we'll end up seeing a little bit higher num- a lot higher numbers than what we saw two years ago, uh-huh. but yeah. at the same time, just by sheer numbers, you know, we're going to see more numbers than they happened four years ago, but, they still, but Latinos still haven't reached its, its true potential. But there, is, there are a lot of different factors occurring with this, in elections, with this election cycle that may want to bring them out, you know, into voting uh, come November. And one of them is Donald Trump. You know, he has been a very big lightning rod uh, within the Latino community as, you know, when he first talked about Latinos as being a bunch of criminals, yeah. mm-hmm. people that we needed to go out and deport, building the wall up. And I think the, the big contention that, uh, that you and I have talked about is the Supreme Court ruling that is supposed to rule on whether the executive order from Barack Obama that provided um, somewhat of a legalization pathway for undocumented immigrants, that's going to come to a hedge come this June. And so we will find out whether his executive order is deemed by the Supreme Court legal or if they invalidate it. And then you, can, then you see a lot more deportations, but it really brings in um, the November 2016 election. If we have a, a situation this year where California's primary actually makes a difference, would that energize Latino voters to come out in greater numbers than they normally do and vote against the Donald? Or are there some Latino voters out there who support him, amazingly enough, depending on, you know, for whatever reason? Do you see any, uh, how would you characterize his support, if any, among the Latino electorate, at least in California? Well, I think you've got, what Donald Trump has really tapped into this different type of electorate. A lot of the electorate that stayed out of the election um, with Mitt Romney, stayed out of the election with John McCain, a very disenfranchised type, type of group of individuals who, 
for lack of a better term, you know, have seen, quote unquote, their country being changed. You know, these are individuals who've seen the communities change from, you know, become a lot more ethnic, a lot more diverse, but at the same time, individuals who felt as though there really hasn't been, there's been corruption within Washington, D.C., no one really listening to their needs. And so you've had a lot of disenfranchised independents, some blue-collar Democrats, but also a lot of other Republicans who haven't really felt comfortable wanting to turn out for that particular uh, candidate who they feel has maybe sold out to what they call the establishment. And so I guess the most important thing is we'll see, especially in the first couple of uh, months, is, you know, next week um, or this week now that we've got the Iowa primaries and, and we're coming into a couple of other elections, is whether or not Donald Trump can take that enthusiasm he has right now and translate it to what is the most important thing, which is will they turn out to vote? Uh-huh. And if we do get into a point come June, I think you are going to get a whole lot of people, especially in California, turning out to vote, um, which usually we, you know, when you push it back to June, we tend to be the sleeper because everything yeah. has already been settled out. Now, now, here's a question for you. So assuming that Donald Trump is the candidate, we know that that's going to motivate, or we would assume that it's going to motivate Latinos to come out and vote. But if he's not the final candidate, do you think that the comments he's made and the discussion that he's led is damaging the Republican brand? Oh, there's our phone. Uh, Is damaging the Republican brand with voters, with Latinos? Well, it is going to be very damaging, and the thing that you, you've got is what everything we do now is we're able to clip articles and we're able to clip stories, and, and a lot of these words, you know, they're going to, just the same way that Pete Wilson is still used on commercials 20 years later on Proposition 187, yeah. you know, I could see the Democrats using the words of Donald Trump yeah. against Republicans. I still, you know, hear, much, I still hear a lot about 187, here we are this long later, but I hear a lot about that. And oddly enough, during the last um, mayoral election in Los Angeles, you had two Democrats going against each other. Yeah. One Democrat used it against the other because someone interned for Pete Wilson. And so they, you still use Proposition 187. So you got Democrats on Democrats using Proposition 187. And so I think wow. coming this election, yeah, they are going to use the Pete Wilson. And I know John Howard and I have talked about maybe going into business and creating Donald Trump pinatas and, you know, <laughs> should he become You're, a nominee. Sadly, <laughs> you've. You've been beat. The Donald Trump pinatas are everywhere. You go down to some of the neighborhoods, there are plenty of Donald Trump pinatas already there. Well, we're trying to get it at a good market price, so I, you know, we'll see how that goes. John's a hard negotiator. You know Republican candidates and Republican issues and Republican clients. So how, how, do, you, um, how do you convince a Republican, you know, as a Republican strategist, to get support for Donald, for example? Is there a way out there? Is there a, is there a Latino support out there for Trump in any fashion, or is that... Because of things he said, it's just a non-starter. There is support, and, and a lot of the support comes from being an individual who just happens to say whatever he wants to say. Uh-huh. Not being afraid of whether it's Fox News, not being afraid of, you know, of whether being politically correct. Yeah. He's just going to go out there and say what he does. And, and, you know, and there's, a, there's a sense of what we've had in these debates has really been a cross-section of the Kardashians meet C-SPAN. And so you know, <laughs> a lot of the folks are, you know, enjoy this, this whole reality TV, and so they're drawn to it. But I think when it, at the end of the day, it, you know, once you get into that ballot box, yeah. will you punch the card for Donald Trump, or will you go, or will you say, you know what, this was fun and nice and very entertaining, but you know, let's do we really want this person to be the commander in chief? Yeah. And so we'll see, we'll see whether that materializes. But what we tell a lot of our clients is, look, elections are about addition and multiplication, not subtraction or division. And so you need to go out there and try to be inclusive. You've got to try to get fifty plus one votes in order to win. And so depending on the makeup of your community. We need to chart a course to get there. And we see it with certain candidates, like you've got the mayor of San Diego, um, Kev, uh, Kevin Faulkner. 
who in a, in a city that is 19% registered Republican, he was able to win handedly this last election. Now they've had a tough time just, just fielding a candidate to run against him in this upcoming, uh, for this year. And Lori Saldana, former assemblywoman, has oh, now yeah. said that she's going to end up running. I mean, here you have the mayor who's very popular, um, fluent Spanish speaker, you know, believes in gay rights at the same time, has gone out there and done everything possible to listen to the needs, not just of, of the general um, city of San Diego, but also the needs of Latino, African-American, and every other, every other group. Um, one of the things we're seeing here is the dem-on-dem races. I know we talked about this earlier a bit, but um, close races, Latinos versus blacks, for example, um, both Democrats. Uh, one count we made here, we were going to do a series of stories on this. Well, we will do a series on this. And we came up with 16 races across the state where this seems to be this seems to be pretty, it'll be competitive. It'll be pretty, it'll be interesting. Um, how does this play out for Republicans? Do, is there a sense here that Dems knock each other off? There's room for a Republican to come in. Are moderate Dems uh, going to be ascendant? And how, how does this play for Republican power politics, you think, in, in Sacramento? Usually during a presidential year for Republicans, it's not about gaining ground. It's about protecting the ground that you have. Okay. And because you've got a lot more voters turning out. And a lot more people on the Democratic side that usually don't turn out to vote in off-year elections that will now turn out. And so for Republicans, there's about six to seven seats that are protects. And if, if Republicans can get out of those seats by holding those seven seats and not losing one, or if they lose one, then it's a victory. And because this last election cycle, they were able to pick up a, a seat in the Bay Area. They were to pick up one out toward the Redondo Hermosa Beach area. Um, they've been able to keep Eric Linder. They also picked up a seat on the Palmdale-Lancaster area. So the last election cycle, they would have picked up some seats and break the two-thirds vote that the Democrats had for, for about two years. Mm-hmm. And so if they can hold on to those seats and prevent the two-thirds, then it becomes a victory. And so given the amount of money being spent, given the amount of p- potential propositions out there, it's going to be very costly to go out there and run a campaign, not just when you're running for state senate or state assembly, but any other local races. Because your cost for your ad has now gone up tremendously. The cost for radio ads will go up. And so if you can protect those seats, which is what Republicans are want to do, then it becomes a victory for them. You, you think uh, Faulkner has a statewide shot? We, all the statewide offices are held by Democrats, except I think a couple on the State Board of Equalization, which really are a little bit different category. Um, but does someone like Kevin Faulkner have a chance statewide? It sounds like he might fit the statewide profile, conventional profile, if he's uh, moderate, pro-gay rights. Um, what do you think? He does, and the other the other area that he's able to speak for quite well to is the growing Latino population. And so, he, like I said, he is fluent in Spanish. He's got offices in both the African-American uh, Latino communities that he still holds now. And so he, he's also the mayor of a very large, of the third largest city here in the state of California. Good media market, but at the same time, he's someone who I think fits the needs and also fits the profile of what California is about, um, at least as it relates to his issues. So, I, I you know, I, I do think he will be... Um, he does have the potential to run statewide and would be a formidable candidate. Okay. Now, is there any legislation coming up uh, this year that you're aware of that you're watching very closely that you can clue us into? Well, you know, a lot of things that I know John doesn't like to talk about, a lot of it's going to be on global warming. We're going to see, you know, we're going to see whether or I'm not leaving. the... I'm leaving. There you go. We're going to see if the governor and the uh, legislature decides to put any more emphasis on getting people off of us- utilizing um, fuels, you know, by 2030. And whether or not you've got the oil industry that goes out again, as it did this past year, to try to defeat that measure. It becomes especially contentious getting into an election year. 
you know, who will go up on it, who won't go up on it, and whether or not those 12 targets that you have on the Democratic side, Democrats and Democrats, does that expand and how much more money is spent in those races? And the leadership of the Mod Dem caucus has changed. So do you see that having any impact that you're aware of? Well, you know, Henry Perrier, who was the leader before of the uh, Mod Dems, uh, he, he had everything well-versed in the sense of he knew where he was going to win, he knew where he had his votes, and now we're going to see if Jim Cooper, who is a new leader, is able to command those uh, those votes. Because if you can vote in a block, then you're powerful. But if the minute you start having two or three dis, you know, mm-hmm. dissent out and, and vote a different way, then you lose some of that strength. But come election year, you know, I would I would hope and I would expect that they're not going to do something too controversial because then you start getting into the ballot, you start getting to, into people's mailboxes, and do you really want to start raising gasoline prices at a time when we're still in the drought and you're and you're still having to pay for more water when you're getting less and you've got everything else going up as far as cost is concerned. So yeah, and, yeah. and that'll be very interesting. And you know, the other thing is what's going to happen with high speed rail. Um, you've had all these all these uh, hearings. You now looking at change. They're looking at change from Los Angeles up to San Jose, and yet they've spent 1.2 billion dollars already with this money. So, how much more money are you going to spend in order to change it back and forth? And I think the third area of real um, thing we've got to look at is the transparency and accountability that I know the Senate pro tem is trying to push forward. Um, you've had a couple of members that you know in the last couple of years have gotten themselves into trouble. Yeah. Some are already getting their sentencing, and so you know we'll see if there's any more. Um, reporting that it needs to be done not just by lobbyists but also by some of the state members of the state legislature. Yeah. Um, Hector, thank you very much. Thank you very much for being here. That was really informative as usual. Tim, did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, we really really didn't give too much of a look ahead for this next week, but that's fine. You know, I'm sure people will figure it out on their own. That's okay. It's not that exciting. You'll have to trust me on that one. What can I tell you? So So thank you all. Thank you very much and folks we'll see you next time. Yeah, this will be uh, this will be posted on Monday. Yes. You'll be listening to this on Monday and we try to do this every Monday. You can uh, find it at capitalweekly.net or on SoundCloud and soon we'll we'll get off our lazy butts and put this on uh, iTunes as well. Yeah. Thanks a lot for listening and thank you thank Hector you. for for coming out. Thank you for having me here. Mm-hmm.